Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, it's been a while. I know I haven't really done an Evan Roberts podcast in a while, but I have an excuse. It's called launching a new show with Tiki Barber and obviously Rico Bronia, where I talk Mets very, very often, like twice a week, three times a week. But it's good every once in a while to talk about the Brooklyn Nets and other things. The Nets had an offseason that was drama free. That's how I would define it. There wasn't a lot of drama. Was there additions to this team? Yeah, they went out and they signed Dennis Smith. Yeah, they went out and they signed Lonnie Walker. Yeah, they saved some money by dealing off Joe Harris and Patty Mills. But what the Nets were able to do during this offseason, no, not fix their rebounding issue, but what they were able to do during this offseason is give us all a nice, like a deep breath, like a, hey, that wasn't crazy. Hey, we're not the embarrassment of the NBA hey, we're going to run it back with a very similar roster to what we saw close out last year. And while that may not lead to an NBA championship, it has led to a lot of old school Nets feels like being under the radar. So Mike Biseglia, who does a great job hosting a podcast, I advise everybody to listen to. It's called Bad Weather Fans. Him and Alex talk Knicks and Nets, amongst other things. But Mike is a diehard Brooklyn Net fan like myself. Did you kind of get the deep breath, fresh air of this offseason and the lack of drama? Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the best part of the offseason is there was no crap. Yeah, I got that sense. I mean, there's still part of me. I mean, I'm going to be completely transparent, bummed out that everything did not work out. And I know I'll, I'm, I got to forge ahead. I got to move forward. This is where we are. Think about that. So from that side of it, yes, it was positive. It was a love fest in media day. It was the question of what's Cam Thomas's role? Is Ben Simmons going to play basketball and be good? Can Mikel Bridges take the next leap? You know, all, all this kind of fun, regular NBA talk that we can relive and, you know, being tongue in cheek about it. But yeah, it, it is nice that it's, it's back to normal. And, you know, this is a team that we really don't know what their ceiling is. We kind of don't know where they're going to be in four or three or four months. And, Let's enjoy the ride. So last year when they made the trades and we, you know, in the middle of February, you know, had to readjust yeah. our expectations from this team could win an NBA championship to what the hell do we have? It was very difficult sitting there for the final two months of the season. And then eventually the postseason, that four game sweep at the hands of the Philadelphia 76ers and make that adjustment as a fan. I almost okay. felt like the last few months we were watching in a daze. 
Not that we didn't care. Certainly we cared. I made a trip to one of the games in Philadelphia, game one of that Eastern Conference first round series. So I think we cared as fans, but it was a daze. It was an adjustment getting used to the new expectations of this roster. I've adjusted. Like, I'm there. Like, to me, the last three years or whatever you want to call it, it came, it's gone, it's the past tense. And so as we get closer to opening night, we had media day the other day, and we're going to get to see this team play a basketball game in about a week against the Lakers. I feel mentally like I have come all the way into the adjustment that this is 2019 again. You know, good young roster. We can be fun. And we're still searching for that superstar on the horizon down the road. Like, I'm all the way there. Yeah, I think I'm 85 to 90 percent there. I think a little bit of seeing reels pop up on like Instagram and YouTube of previous media days. I think played in my head a little bit entering into this one. So I'm not fully where you are. I do believe that once the season starts, I definitely know I'll be fully engaged in what's going to happen with this team. I also want to say thank you, Evan, for, you know, not acknowledging that you did go to that Sixers game. And I was there as well. So you totally blew that off. Like, I went to a Sixer game and, you know, a a terrible company. I sat to the left of some guy that just made stupid comments all game. Yeah, I was at that game, too, as well. Just, you know, just want to make make sure you're. You know, it's funny. As I was as I was saying that, I was like, I think Mike came with me. Like, I I think he was there, but separately. But yeah. You know why I forgot? And I don't want you to take this personal. I, I'm going to give you. I know. Good... You, I know the answer, but go ahead. No, no. Why, why do you think the answer is? And we'll see if you're right. Because you went with your wife too, and you had like a date night, so yes. it was like a different trip. Yes. And I, I, I basically was like, I've got a two and a half year old at the time, a three month old. Like, I, I to be completely honest, and I, I wasn't expecting the Nets to win. The Nets could have lost by seven hundred and two. I was just like, I just got six hours where I can decompress and watch the Nets play shitty basketball. Yeah, my attitude was sort of similar in that I wasn't thinking about the Nets winning. I was thinking about, wow, me and my (laughs) wife are going to get to be in the same bed together and we won't have kids climbing on top. Exactly. This is great. Yeah, (laughs) because that's what we did. Like we went we went to the game. It was remember was an afternoon game, obviously, you know. Yeah, we went out to dinner, went back to the hotel, had fun. I watched the Nick game on DVR. That's right. Yeah, and the Knicks won that night, I guess. Yeah, that was game one, so they beat the Cavs. Or they, yes. It was a wild finish, but we don't have to break down Nick Cavs game one. But yeah, that, that was sort of it. Whereas I that's drove why, there, that's yeah, why watched the so, game and left. That's why I barely remembered you were there, because I was right. thinking more about, oh, yeah, I had a good time in Philly. Date night, had some fun, went out to dinner. Yeah. And I remember selling that to my wife the entire time. Like, yeah, we're not going to see Nets Sixers. We happen right. to be there. Well, the dumbest, the dumbest you know. thing I did at Net Sixers, and I think you were sitting next to me when I did it, or maybe it was right before you arrived. I really love the seats. Like we were sitting in really cool seats, second They're level, great. center court, first row. Like you can't, you can't have it any better. And I was saying to my wife, "Boy, I love these seats. God forbid this series goes to a seventh game. I huh. should really lock down tickets now." Yeah, no, I think it was me. You did say that. Yeah. And I I said, Kevin, what are you doing? I said, do you want to come? You're like, nah, I'm I'm good. (laughs) Yeah, that was good. Although, to be fair, I did think the Nets were going to win two games, which is not like me because I'm usually really pessimistic in all series. You know, even when the Nets had Durant, Harden, and Kyrie, I'm like, (laughs) I don't know, this Celtics team tough. 
I know Jalen Brown's out. I know they're going through the, all these injuries, but I could see this going six or seven. And I'm usually that route. And then net sixes, I'm like, they're going to win games versus this Philly team. And I was obviously dead wrong. And now we're in the midst of this really long losing streak of playoff games. Think about it. You got the sweep at the hands of Philly, sweep at the hands of Boston, and the seventh game lost to Milwaukee. This franchise has now lost, and game six, they've lost 10 consecutive postseason games. 10. Last win was the Durant. Yeah. Well, well, you know, the game where he had that nice dramatic three and they held off the Bucks. game five, yeah. Game five, which was an incredible moment. And I remember cautioning after that game, as great as this was, what does it mean if we don't win the series? And you kind of learn from history with that. It's similar in a lot of ways to the game against the Pistons in 2004, mm-hmm. the Brian Scalabrini game. It was an sure. incredible game, five, very similar. Put the Nets up 3-2. Put them one win away from the conference finals. So all very similar. And they lost game six. They blew it at home. And then we all know what happened in game seven. They got completely destroyed. It's just a reminder that as great as moments are in an individual series, you got to go out and win it. Um, My impression going into this offseason was you got to take care of Cameron Johnson, which they did. Cam Johnson's back. Super great. I didn't want them to see, didn't want to see them trade Spencer Dinwiddie. And I didn't want them to sell low on Ben Simmons. Mm -hmm. And it's not because I think Ben is good. It's not because I think Ben is going to refigure it out. It's very difficult to have that kind of enthusiasm about Ben Simmons. It just is. Um, Health-wise, yeah, he's more time removed from back surgery. That's great. And health-wise, he should be in better shape. But my biggest concern with Ben, and I think all of us have that same concern, is what is he mentally? Does he have that want anymore? Is he going to be afraid to get hocked when he's going to the basket and go to the free throw line? And then when he goes to the free throw line, what the hell is going to happen? Those things remain about Ben Simmons. Yet, and and I don't know if this is a contradiction to you, I still didn't want to trade him. Like, I still didn't want to take a guy with that kind of salary and coming off the year he came off of, because he was useless a year ago, and trade him away because I felt like, well, what are you doing that for? You're going to have to put assets in the trade to get rid of him, and then what are you getting back? So I don't have confidence in him, but I'm also sort of glad he's on the roster this season instead of being traded away. Yeah, no, I'm with you on it because if he is anything and he provides any kind of offense and defense and he's on the court and he's a productive player, I mean, it is a win for the Nets compared to what it was last year. So if you're going to trade Ben Simmons and you're going to trade Ben Simmons, the return you're going to get is not going to be something you want. It's more going to be you're getting Ben Simmons off the books, a team like Minnesota or whoever, because I know there was a few links of teams, is just like, you know what, let's take a chance on Ben Simmons. Maybe if we bring him out here, it all works out. You know, somebody wants to take a gamble and you're getting nothing in return but salary relief. The, he was such a low-value player last year, especially in the second half when he was awful and then disappeared, that anything that he provides is going to be almost like a sick bonus. Now, a very expensive bonus, but you have to take the gamble to at least just see for a second time around what he is. You have no other reasons not to because this team's not good enough to win a championship. They don't have their own draft picks. Why not gamble and see what Ben Simmons is again? And what I think Ben Simmons is going to be, not as bad as last year where he had dreadful moments. 
He's not going to be the star he was in Philly. It's going to be somewhere in the middle, maybe towards the 40% mark where he's just another guy on the roster. He just unfortunately makes superstar level money. But I think that's what Ben Simmons will be with some moments of decent, great basketball play, but ultimately not the same player he once was. Yeah, I find it really, really hard to believe that missing as much time as he's missed, he is a little bit older now. And not that he's old. He's still only 27 years old, which is kind of remarkable to think about. But it's tough to imagine that three years later, essentially, two and a yeah. half years later, wow. he's going to get back to what he was. And what he was, especially in 2020 and 2019, was an electric player. He was. I mean, he was an incredible player. I don't know if he could ever be that. And if you're telling me right now, you're going to get more than what we got last year in the 42 games he played in which he turned into a backup big. I mean, think about it. Yeah. By the end of the season, he was backing up Claxton playing 15 minutes a night at the five. Now, it's clear that's not how they're going to handle him this year, that he's going to go back into his more traditional point guard role, which in a lot of ways fits where this roster is because they don't have a true, I don't want to say elite, but true star or even borderline star starting point guard on this team. Like Dennis Smith is a useful player, and I like Spencer Dinwiddie, but on any kind of good team, Spencer Dinwiddie is coming off the bench, playing 25 minutes a night. Like, I don't view Spencer Dinwiddie as the starting point guard of a, forget championship caliber team, but a top echelon playoff team. So for what they need, they need Ben Simmons. They need that guy from three years ago. It's just really difficult to imagine considering the health, considering the age, not that 27 is old, the time away. It's very tough to imagine he's going to be, you said 40% of what he was. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'd sign for that. I think like if you gave me 70% of what he was, I'd say, great. Sign me up for that. Oh, yeah. And and I think, yeah, he he can't be the backup center to Nick Claxton. He's got to be the point guard, the distributor, the one that gets everybody involved, that gets the shots for Cam Johnson, that puts Mikel Bridges in a good place. And I also think, you know, the pairing with Spencer Dinwiddie is interesting because I look back at his time in Dallas and when he was alongside Luka and Luka and Ben Simmons are very different players where Luka's going to do his thing, get his shots and Spencer's got to be ready to shoot. But the idea of if Ben can get Spencer opportunities, that just changes the whole feel and flow of this offense where now you have another secondary score that can help out and get you production because Spencer Dinwiddie to me is a very, as a player that's a, good player but when you put him in a role where he has to lead and be that guy that's when all the problems come when it's too much on his back but if you change it and you let him just be one of the players on this team that can provide an offensive punch to me I don't even know if it's off the bench or it's more like off the ball you're letting Spencer Dinwiddie be that kind of player because he he can do a little bit of everything well but not like elite so you get Dinwiddie in another position where Ben's getting him the ball and he can score. It changes your whole viewpoint of the season. If Ben is the starting point guard on this team, which I think he will be, or at least that's the intent, Spencer Dinwiddie's coming off the bench, right? What would your starting five be? See, I think there's a world where they put Dinwiddie at the two and then move Mikel, Cam, and go small with Nick at the five. I could see that. Because I think it's redundant if you're going to go 
Dorian Finney-Smith. You're just getting interchangeable guys all along the lineup. And I think actually from a scoring perspective, you put Ben and Dinwiddie in the backcourt. That's a very good defensive backcourt if in theory it works. And I actually would take that route. And I, I know the idea of Dinwiddie coming off the bench gives you some offensive punch. So I could see that argument. But I'd kind of like to see what that looks like with them together in the backcourt if that were to work. The reason I lean towards Dinwiddie off the bench and Finney Smith starting at the four is to have that offensive punch off the bench. That, that's what I think they would miss because, and Lonnie Walker is going to supply that too. And maybe Cam Thomas will supply that. We'll see. Yeah. Dennis Smith's really good defensively. This team is going to defend. And I don't think we really got to see that over the 32 games that this team played. Obviously, Ben, Mikel, Cam, like the new look Nets, really never got to play together. I think Ben played about three or four games before he got shut down right after the trade. Mm-hmm. But this team will be incredible defensively that is clearly going to be the strength of this team and we saw glimpses of it last year but it never fully developed you give this team a full training camp you give Jacques Vaughn an opportunity to put his defensive system together with these guys plus the additions they made like Dennis Smith like Finney Smith being here for a full year this team's going to be great defensively their their issue is going to be offense and that's Mm -hmm. why I kind of like Dinwiddie coming off the bench giving you that offensive firepower I think that would be a big help, him coming off the bench and giving you a little instant offense. Yeah, no, it makes sense, and I could totally see that side of the argument. Um, And I I hope that that is – I hope that's an argument Net fans can have because Ben Simmons is playing so well that it's put in that position, and it's not like, well, Dinwiddie's the starting point guard. Ben's out and hurt. And to your defensive point, I loved what I heard from Nick Claxton in the press – in the media day um, from two days ago – when he was asked about not being defensive player of the year, getting all defensive player votes. And he said, basically when I had Kyrie Irving and Jay and uh, Kevin Durant here, people were recognizing me left and right. I was getting like top defensive player in the league votes. And then he was like, poof, those two guys left <laughs> and everybody forgot about me. And I loved hearing that from him, that it's in his mind that people are thinking that way. And he's coming in with the attitude of I'm coming here to wreak havoc and be a, a, a game changer on defense. And, you know, I'm excited to see what Nick can do defensively. The, the most exciting thing about Nick, who's obviously looking to get paid, and if he could stay healthy and take another jump, you better pay him. But Nick Claxton's been in the league for four years. This is year number five. Wow. And the, he's still only 24 years old, too. Right. So year five, he's still a kid. In year number one, Nick Claxton played 15 games. In year number two... He played 32 games in year number three. He played 47 games. It's obviously going up, but it's not enough. Last year, Nick Claxton played 76 games. Mm. So there was a lot of improvement from Nick Claxton last year, and he absolutely deserved votes for being that elite defensive player that he turned into, especially as a perimeter defender, as a guy who's six foot 11 and basically could defend anybody one through five. And he's blocking a million shots. He blocked two and a half shots last year. He had one of the most, uh, what do they call when they combine blocks and steals? I forget that. Uh, Stocks. That's what they call it. Never heard of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's a new defensive metric. They just added. I did not know that. Okay. Yeah. So all those numbers are great. But, bro, the biggest impressive number from him is the fact he went out and played 76 games. Yeah, that's that's great. That's the key. So Mm -hmm. if he wants to get paid and he wants to take that jump, the jump is go prove you could play 76 games again. Go do that. I 
think it was Dinwiddie that said this. I think he was basically saying like Nick Claxton could shit the bed and he's still going to make 60, 70 million dollars next year, which he's <laughs> right. Like he he has put himself in a position. If he repeats last season, he's getting a pay raise. It's not going to be 10 million a year. It's going to be whatever it's going to be, you know, 16, 17. So he you're right. He. This is the year for him. Jared Allen got what the five years, 100. I mean, Nick Claxton puts together a special season. The Nets are going to have no choice but to extend him with a big contract. And I think if you're a Net fan, of course, that's what you want to see. Can the offensive game continue to produce? Can he had a couple of moves here and there? Can he improve from the free throw line? And I'll say this about him. You know, Ben Simmons was scared to go to the line. Nick Claxton definitely was not scared about that. But obviously his free throw percentage needs to improve as his game improves. But no, to hear you say that, because I in my head, I was like, I know Nick Claxton's played more games. Of course he has. I watched the whole season. I know he was a big centerpiece of this team. Uh, but to hear it's jumped to 76 uh, is great. And, you know, I think obviously realistically, because nobody really plays 82 games, I guess, except for Mikel Bridges. Uh, if you could get anywhere in that high 70 level, you'd be very, very happy. And let's knock on wood with that because <laughs> it's great that Mikel Bridges plays every game and his minute load is going to be high this year. He's going to be the workhorse, but it, it makes me nervous. You know, It makes me nervous that the guy has played a lot of basketball. Going back to his days at Villanova, obviously with Phoenix, certainly last year, he's played a lot of basketball and he's going to play a lot more basketball and God knows they have to keep him on the floor. And so... He's been incredible at being durable and staying on the floor. But every time I hear, well, he'll play 82 games, I just want to knock on wood because I want to make sure that that actually happens. 83 last year, Evan. I know. Well, that 83rd game was a little fugazi. Remember, he played the first eight seconds against the Sixers, and then they took him out. Yeah, no, it didn't count. Didn't count. I mean, what, what are we talking about? I think with Nick adding to his offensive repertoire would be the cherry on top because he's already developed so much defensively and he looks like he's getting bigger and stronger. And they're going to try to cover up for the fact that he defends so much on the perimeter. That's a part of why they had so many issues on the glass last year. I mean, they were a terrible rebounding team a year ago, and it doesn't feel like Sean Marks went out and did anything to improve the roster. So Jacques Vaughn was even talking about it at media day. A lot of it is going to be, you know, kind of different principles on how they're going to become a better rebounding team. They're also a very long team. They got a lot of guys who are six seven, six six, big wingspan. But Claxton taking another step offensively. I think with the free throw shooting, go at sixty percent from the line. I think we'd celebrate. He had about fifty four percent a year ago, fifty eight percent a year before that. If he could get to sixty, that's amazing. He'll never be a great free throw shooter. But the development is of of his offensive game. Now I'm not expecting him to go out and start hitting a bunch of jump shots or developing a three, though I think he has it in him, that's where Nick could take the step from being what he is now, which is really good, to that star level. Uh, And that'll be incredibly important for this team if he could possibly do that. Now, I'm trying to remember correctly, but his rookie year, wasn't he taking jumpers? Yes. Remember, he he has a jump shot. Now, when he He took a a couple of threes that year, he took a couple of corner threes that year, if memory serves correct. Yeah, I remember him shooting. I, I'm now. I'm not saying he's that's his game, but it's definitely in him too. And it, like the free throw thing is weird because he's got like that little hitch now. And sometimes I think you just these th- th- things get overanalyzed and overworked. It's like you grew up playing basketball your whole life. You know, is a routine at the free throw line is good, but just shoot. You know, just take your shot. I don't know. It feels like it's like over overproduced 
from the line and then you start overthinking these things. Um, and I, but I, but I'm with you, you know, 60% probably, probably would do the trick for Nick. Um, and yeah, his, 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 his continued growth and the 11 pounds of muscle that he's put on. And I'm, I'm with you on these, you know, Jacques Vaughn basically saying you don't have to switch on everything because when you switch on everything, you get out of place and then you have guys that are boxing out different positions, but Less of that, more about rebounding, because there was a question brought up to Sean Marks, not on media day, but the week before, you know, about the rebounding situation. Was it addressed? And it was just the same crap answer. Like, oh, we're, we're going to have to do it as a team. It's like, obviously, we've been trying that and it's not working. Do you believe, and I, and I don't want to be right about this, because I would love, you know, for the next couple of years to be buying number 24 Camp Thomas jerseys for my kids. I don't believe it's ever happening here. And I'm not necessarily saying it's against Cam. This is his third year. He's 21 years old, 22 years old, about to turn 22 years old. And we even saw it last year after he had a couple of those incredible offensive performances, which felt like it sort of gave us new hope. Because remember, the Nets make these trades. And all of a sudden, Cam Thomas in early February with Durant out is scoring 40 a night. Remember, he had three consecutive games where he scores over 40 points. And then there was a time not much later where he was getting DMPs and we saw it down the stretch and we saw during the postseason, he barely played in that series against Philadelphia. Mm. He played a grand total of 15 minutes in four games against Philadelphia and down the stretch had a lot of DNPs. I would love to see Cam Thomas get that opportunity and become that offensive star that we saw in a small sample size over that three-game stretch. But I don't see it. I I don't think Jacques Vaughn is ever going to trust Cam on a night-in, night-out basis. And I think there's a myriad of reasons for it, whether it's trusting him defensively or trusting him to make the smart play and trusting him to make his teammates better around them. Like, I think we're going to end up seeing a lot of what we saw last year from Cam. When guys are hurt, He may get an opportunity to play and he may give you a 40 point game, but then he's going to stack up three DMPs in a row. So weird. Yeah. Such a weird spot. Cause I, I do remember when those trades went down and then everybody was like, Oh, I'm glad cam wasn't in the deal. He's averaging 50 a game for this (laughs) team. He thrives when there's nobody else that can score. And he is the guy, give him the ball, let him do his thing. But the second that you needed to rely on him in crunch time defense, never there. And the second that you wanted him integrated within the offense of the scheme they're playing, Vaughn pulls him right away. He is the biggest enigma. Like For me, the Ben Simmons stuff is, I kind of have figured it out of my head. Is he going to do it or not? We'll find out. I can't wrap my head around what Cam Thomas is for the Nets because he's shown brilliance. I mean, brilliance, like going out there, turnaround jumpers, hitting threes, pouring in points when they need him, need him, making some of the most difficult shots you can imagine on the basketball court to somebody that doesn't get minutes. It's, if you score 50 points in a game or whatever, and then you don't play, that doesn't ever happen. It's like, okay, you score 24, you don't play anymore that he has the ability to be an elite NBA scorer and then not play at the same time. I put that on the coaching staff. They got to figure this out. He's got to get minutes. 
it's, he has to be part of the rotations. You can't be that good of a scorer and not be part of this team. It, it doesn't make sense. Think about if this team is healthy. And, and who knows how long that would last. But Ben Simmons, Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson, DFS, Nick Claxton, Dayron Sharp as your backup five, Royce O'Neal, Spencer Dinwiddie, Dennis Smith, Lonnie Walker. It's 10 guys. It's 10 guys. I I, I can see it very easily if him just not having a role on this team. Again, when guys are hurt, sure. Uh, he'll he'll get his action. And in those three games where he scored 40 or more, think about who he was on the floor with. Joe Harris, Patty Mills, Edmund Sumner. Like it yeah. wasn't exactly a loaded roster, but when you Look at the depth chart right now. I could easily see where he doesn't get an opportunity. Now, he could be really valuable because I think the biggest deficiency this team's going to have is scoring and the ability to create your own shot. Like, do they have a lot of guys that can do that? Cam Thomas certainly can be one. So I hope I'm wrong about that. There's a lot of things I hope I'm wrong about. I hope Ben Simmons is a superstar and hope Cam Thomas develops into that offensive juggernaut who can stick with this team. I'm just really skeptical of those things happening. Well, that's why I said I, I'm confused by him. And I don't know how to explain if he'll be good or not, because I, I'm i stuck where I've seen the brilliance and I've seen the DMPs. And I know the coaching staff doesn't rely on him defensively. And there's obviously something that hasn't stuck with him because I remember this and I thought things were going to change a little bit. When and we we kind of forget now, but when Steve Nash was the coach, it was the same kind of stuff where he didn't want to play Cam Thomas. He wasn't into doing it, and there was that whole thing from the um, summer league where Cam had a remark about Coach Nash, and he kind of was disrespectful, threw him under the bus. And then, if you remember, when Kyrie Irving went out the first time in suspension because of of what had happened, Cam Thomas stepped up and was great next to Kevin Durant. Now, I know that's a different story because it's next to Durant, a whole different dynamic of the team, but he got minutes early with Jacques Vaughn. He put, when he became the interim head coach, he gave him minutes, and he did a nice job playing within the offense, scoring 18, 16, 18 points per game, and had it in him, and then he vanished. And then the, and then he becomes the star of this team after the trades because they have nobody on the roster, the first game with Dinwiddie, Cam played them next to each other, and it worked a little bit. And then it became Dinwiddie's team, Mikel's team, and it was gone. Yep. There is, I, I need, like, real answers from Jacques Vaughn. And just, if he's not, like, my point is, I guess, if he can't do any of this, then they should have traded him this offseason and just moved on, right or wrong, at least not have him rot on the bench. No, I get you. We'll see. We'll see if that opportunity comes especially if this team is healthy or maybe they're not going to be healthy because God knows there'll be some surprise injuries, especially throughout training camp. Sean Marks was asked, asked point blank about Lillard that look, Damian Lillard had you on the list, which when I saw after Damian was traded to Milwaukee, I have to admit I took pride in as a net fan, because I think there's this fear that after the Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden debacle that superstars wouldn't want to come here. And as much as the Nets maybe not are not in a place right now to trade for a superstar, especially a guy like Damian Lillard, eventually you're going to be stargazing again. Eventually a superstar is going to become available and we're all going to be like, you got to go get this guy. So I did think 
it was kind of cool to hear Damian Lillard say, mm-hmm. I'd only go to three teams, the Miami Heat, the Milwaukee Bucks, and the Brooklyn Nets, especially because it pissed off our Nick fan friends. It was yeah. a reminder that stars wanted to come to us and not them. Sure. But Sean Marks was asked about it. And if you believe him, he basically said they had no interest in him. That, you know, Damian's a great player, just didn't fit. Do you believe that? Do you think the Nets were... Because it, it felt like early in the offseason, even before the offseason came, especially when Lillard, I think, showed up to watch Mikael Bridges once, that there was this, oh, this is going to happen. Like, they're going to get Damian Lillard. I think there was a part early in the offseason where I thought the same thing, too. I wasn't a fan of it, but I thought it was going to happen. Do you think they were never interested in him? Well, I do think I think it's how you you, you look at it deeply, because when Damian Lillard says, I'm interested in coming to the Nets, if Sean Marks has to do his job and say, okay, let's talk, right? There has to at least be some sort of conversation. And then Sean says, well, this is, this is my foot in the stand in the sand. This is not where I'm going. So do I think that there was completely no interest? Of course not. If Damian Lillard says, I want to, I want to be on your team. Here's my short list. You have to listen. You have to hear what, what this might entails and where this conversation will be going. Now, I do think though, that he was, strict in what he wanted to do and not do because people Sean Marks is a human being and you know we don't know truly how he feels about certain guys that used to be on this team but I can guarantee you he is so over the last two and a half years of dealing with vaccines videos (laughs) on Amazon Prime and I'm not saying that Damian Lillard was going to go down any of that direction but superstars bring a little bit a different vibe to the situation where they take control and I do believe that him and Joe Sy said, we need now if we now if we had another pair here and we think this could put us over the top, yes, but he knows they're not there. And I think in his mind he said, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to go down this road. I want to have stability and be a regular GM that nobody talks about and just go out there and try to win 44 games. I think if it was a different situation, they would have gone gung ho. I think it yes. was just the age and the contract. And then, yeah, what you're going to have to give up. Because looking at what ultimately the Bucks gave up, the Nets weren't going to be able to match that. They weren't. I mean, they could have matched it with the picks, or I guess they could have exceeded it with the picks. But in terms of a piece like Drew Holiday, who they could then instantly flip, which they did, you know, the Nets weren't going to be able to offer something like that. You know, there wasn't a guy on this roster outside of guys we wouldn't move that sure. we would be willing to do that with. So, to match or defeat that Bucks offer, obviously would have to be different, but at minimum, Nick Claxton's in that trade. I mean, you're flipping Claxton for Nurkic right off the top, and you're probably throwing in three or four of those first-round picks, and that's a lot to give up. I like Damian Lillard. I think he's a tremendous player. He is on the older side. His contract is, I don't want to say horrendous, because horrendous almost implies, like, He's not good anymore, and he is. But, dude, at the end of his contract, he's making $60 million a year. That's not good. So I think we had a disagreement on this one. I was always out on this. It never fully made sense. You, on the other hand, why was it? Was it the hope of a star? Like, let's rekindle the love? Like, why were you more into it? I do think bringing him in here elevates the team automatically to at least like a second round performance. And I do, I am a big believer that stars follow stars. And in my heart of hearts, I think if he comes here, 
the next domino falls and the Nets are right back at it. And they are right there for a championship contending team. I I, I believe that. And I know when you talk about de- dealing Nick and you're getting um, Nurkic back, as much as I love Nick Claxton and I want to see him continue to develop, I do think there's something where when we have guys on our own team, we start to believe the hype that they are better than they really are. Like, for example, I've started in my head like, oh, Dayron Sharp had some nice performances at the <laughs> end of last season. He's going to be a viable backup big man. He's going to be there for Nick Claxton. Oh, Ben Simmons looked really good in these videos. Maybe he can. I think we start to believe our own stuff because we want to and we have no other option. So as much as I would have hated to see Nick go, if you're getting back a big center that can rebound and defend and help this team in the low post, which they haven't had in forever that I can ever remember, you know, if you're telling me they don't get him back and it's just giving all this up for Lillard, okay. But you're getting back a viable a big man center who's a good big in this league. You're then putting Damian Lillard next to Mikel Bridges. And yeah, the Nets aren't the Knicks. The Nets are different. Donovan Mitchell might look over here. Joel Embiid might look over here. And I do believe uh, at least the hope that they would have paired somebody else. And now you got Bridges, Lillard, and name the next guy. And, and they're right back in contention for a title. And I would have taken the risk again. Look, I think what they have to do is try to win as many games as possible. Obviously, there's no benefit to losing without controlling your own picks. Continue to collect assets, and there will be stars available. And you mentioned a couple of them that are potentially on the horizon. Donovan Mitchell, as unimpressive as he was in that playoff series against the Knicks, is going to leave Cleveland. It sort of seems obvious. Now, will Cleveland end up trading him before his contract expires? I don't know. Maybe they play it out over the next two years. I am less believing in Giannis and Embiid being guys on the move like Giannis has made it clear as long as the Bucks are trying to win a title I'm good here and they went out and they just traded for Damian Lillard as big of a mess as the Harden situation is in Philadelphia I don't think we're close to seeing Joel Embiid trying to leave town that that feels like a Nick fan fantasy mm-hmm. more than anything else but there will be superstars that are going to become available we just don't know who they are. You know, I mean, I don't yeah. think it's those guys, but there will be some as the years go by. But right now, it's about winning and being smart and not doing anything to F things up. It's very similar to what they were doing or trying to do in 2019, because ideally, that's the perfect, even though it didn't work out, that's what you want. You want to create a team so appealing with cap space and flexibility that you actually don't have to give anything up to get superstars remember kevin durant and kyrie irving just walk through the door like magic the asset giving up was the final piece with james harden so i think it's about being patient and trying to be good in the meantime and i'm back and forth on if this team is good or not like i don't know i love mikhail bridges i've been impressed by cam johnson nick claxton is only getting better i like some of the under the radar moves they made during the offseason lonnie walker dennis smith it's just very tr- tough to trust Ben Simmons. And I think Ben Simmons is the difference between this team being a playing tournament somewhere in that kind of area versus a real playoff team. I think mm-hmm. the difference is Ben Simmons. If Ben Simmons is 70% of what he was in Philadelphia, this is a top six seed. If he's not, we're battling in the playing tournament. Is that a fair assessment? 
hundred percent. And I brought him up a lot on this podcast with you on this episode, Evan, but Spencer Dinwiddie was throwing out gems on media day. He's been saying some really smart things. I agree with a lot of what he said. And he was asked, what's the ceiling for this team? And he said, I have no idea. And I think that goes back to Ben Simmons and all the unknowns for this team. He said, Spencer said, this team has way more talent than the one that was the sixth seed uh, back in 2019, that, that, that unit just came together and was scrappy and, and all the stars aligned. But, so yeah, we got more talent, but he doesn't even know what the ceiling is for this team because they have all these different pieces that are coming together where it's not like they're bad, but they're definitely not really good. And they're somewhere in the middle. And how does it go from there? And I think it all goes back to one guy and it's Ben. I mean, it, I expect Mikel Bridges to put up, continue to get better and put up good numbers and score 23, 24 a game. I think Cam Johnson improves because it's just the natural progression of his game as he's getting older and more mature in the league. But what is Ben Simmons? And it sucks because if you asked me this three or four months ago, I would have said no chance. He's not part of this team. I saw what happened. But I'm being sucked into it (laughs) because I got, you know, at Nets, Brooklyn Nets on Twitter and Instagram showing me videos of you know, Ben Simmons and his giant biceps dribbling the basketball and Duncan. And I'm just like, well, I got no other choice. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll take well, the bait. As a fan, we have no other choice. We have to root for it because it's the yeah. best interest of our team. Instead of asking for a prediction, because who the hell knows? What is a successful season? Like, is it just getting to the first round again? Is it getting to the first round and breaking the streak of consecutive postseason losses, which, like we mentioned earlier, is at 10. Is it beyond that? Like, what is what's a good season for us? I think getting a top six seed, so falling in that range, and then not losing in four. I think really good. I think if everything went right, Ben Simmons is awesome, and this team has sort of like a Knicks season from last year where no one has expectations for them to be very good they put it all together and they become a team that's not going to win a title by any stretch, but make some noise, win around. I think that would be the ultimate goal. And that would be like the very best of the best. Um, But I think realistically getting into the playoffs and winning a game to two games would be nice and not getting swept. That's where I'm at. That would be the, that'd be the worst. Yeah. Well, no, the worst is not making the playoffs. Well, that too. Yes. I mean, that, you know, I would I want to lose four more consecutive games? No, wouldn't be fun. But not being in the playoffs at all would suck. Or being in the uh, dopey playing tournament and not winning and getting knocked out would suck. Uh, I think making the real playoffs and the real playoffs, like not having to play our way in and then play a 2-7 matchup against Boston or a 1-8 matchup against Milwaukee. I, I agree with you. It's getting to the real postseason and making it a somewhat competitive series. They went around, yeah, we'll be ecstatic, but it's winning a couple of games. And it's kind of depressing that that's where we are now, because a year ago it was championship, championship, championship. But it's a different world. I am excited for the start of the year. We're three weeks away. I think after the dreadful baseball season we had, and what appears to be a dreadful football season, it's going to be good to have basketball back. Yes. I very much look forward to it, and we'll try to do as many podcasts as we can. But... Mike Basegli is already always doing one with his boy, uh, Alex, with the Bad Weather Fans podcast. You can certainly check that out. And obviously check out Rico Brony if you're interested in the match. We appreciate you listening to another edition of the Evan Roberts podcast.